Hello friends, Jose Zayas here, and welcome to 2020, the year of new phrases like social distancing. How many times have you heard that one this week? Or flattening the curve. While it is kind of funny, it's uh, really serious. There are so many suffering and hurting, and we have no idea where this is going. This has turned out to be a very strange year, and it's only March, by the way. And so in light of all of that, we want to look at what God has to say to us where do we go from here? And uh, here's the good news. We have a new series starting today that I think should set the tone uh, for where we're headed. Now, if you want to know where we're going as a church week to week, we'll be by video until we know better. Um, check out 26westchurch.org, our website, week to week. That's where we'll post all of our latest info. And if you want some encouragement, just follow me at Jose Zayas on Instagram and Facebook, and I'll try to do some supplemental uh, devos and videos to at least get us laughing or thinking about what God might be saying. All right, where do we go? I think when I look at the Bible, there is a word of hope, and we're going to focus on it in this new series, and it's just three words. We will rise. Now, this isn't a pep talk. This isn't like the speech. Come on, guys, we can do this. When I look at the Bible and I look at what's going on in the world today, I know this is the overarching trajectory of the Bible, is the reality that we, you and I who follow Jesus, we're going to rise. And so in light of that, in the weeks to come, we want to look at how we're to live, how we're to think, what we're to do, what we're to avoid. But for today, for today I just want to set the tone and get us thinking about life, life now, and, and the resurrection now, uh, before we do that, let's uh, look at a quick story. A few years ago, I was in a country, I won't name it, but it is where people who are following Jesus, especially leaders, are, are potentially in danger. And so I was there to meet with some pastors and teach the Bible and help them in understanding and teaching the Bible. And it was the closest I've ever been to being in an action movie. Uh, it was, we went from the hotel, from a car to a car, and we took a different route every day, and we went into this huge apartment complex, but we went by different staircases and up and down, and we ended up in this flat, this apartment. We slipped in, and then over the next hour, just people would start, no knocking on the door, they would just slip in. A few people were in the kitchen cooking these meals. Everyone was speaking at a low voice, and then when everyone was assembled, I sat in a chair in kind of the great room, and wall to wall, people everywhere, uh, young and old, men and women, all leaders of various churches. One guy, it took him four days to get there. And here we were, and I was to teach the Bible through an interpreter to them, and it was inspiring. I wish they wouldn't let me take pictures or video. I wish I had some, because this is a part of the world where people love and follow Jesus, but everything is against them, everything, and yet they're determined not just to love God, but to love people and to share the good news. And so I would teach for hours, and then during the break time, uh, lunch and dinner, I just wanted to hear, and they would share stories of their churches and what they were doing to reach out, even in these difficult times. Why do I start with that? When we think of this idea of trouble and the reality that we are going to get out of it, and by the way, we're gonna get out of it, this isn't the end of the world. This isn't the end of the economy. This isn't the end of this church. And frankly, if you're a Jesus follower, this isn't the end of your life. But in light of all of that, here's what I learned and have learned over the years in interacting with people from around the world. Traveling gives you a perspective. 
The church in this place is thriving, prayerful, multiplying, planting new churches everywhere. And guess what? They don't have a website. They don't have a building. They don't have Insta. They don't have YouTube. Now, don't get me wrong. They would love to have these tools that we have. They don't have any of them yet persecuted, in trouble, and thriving. Now, I don't know about you. I want to live like that. And I think you and I have a unique opportunity in these days as people are looking and asking, what do I do? Where do I go? What's next? Here's a reality to bedrock our faith. We are going to rise. Well, this isn't just like made up. Uh, I want to look at a, a Bible encounter in, in John's Gospel, John chapter 11, to kind of frame out what we want to think about today in terms of life and resurrection. So just look with me at, at John 11, and I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to read a lot of Bible. Um, we have all the time in the world. <laughs> Let's read the Bible. Uh, John 11:1 1 says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then in parentheses, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, he was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, quote, Lord, the one that you love is sick, end quote. So they send a note to Jesus. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, now this is where it gets strange, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, and here's the punchline, he stayed where he was two more days. Now this story is unfortunately so familiar. Imagine yourself reading or hearing John's good news, his biography, for the first time. Loves Mary and Martha, loves Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. Jesus can change it. And he stays away. That's very interesting. And he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Uh, let's just jump down to verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus, he's fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. Verse 14, I love it when Jesus gets blunt. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Now, we must go to him. Uh, jump down to verse 17. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and to Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So I want us to just jump into the scene here. Jesus was given word about Lazarus. Jesus seems to do nothing about it. As a matter of fact, he seems to do the opposite of what a good friend would do. A good doctor would go to the hurting patient before they die. But Jesus says no. Now Jesus not only misses the moment of Lazarus's death, Jesus shows up after the burial. So it's four days into Lazarus being buried. And here's Jesus with people from all of the town. Uh, mourning usually happened for about a week. 
So it's day four, Lazarus is buried, people are mourning and trying to comfort Mary and Martha and the family, and then Martha comes out. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I love it. We're gonna get into her response in a moment, but I love it. She's not pressing, blaming. She's not accusing. She's saying, Lord, I know that you can change anything, and I know that God listens to you even now. There's, there's a hint of faith in her voice. But Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he's gonna rise again at the resurrection at the last day. More on that in a moment. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Well, there's a lot more to the story. You can read all of John 11 to catch it. In the end, we know that Jesus does go to the tomb and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Jesus, at the end of this scene, uh, Lazarus, I should say, at the end of the scene, is alive and well. We will rise. Now, what do we do in moments like these? Here is a word of hope. Not just a word of hope to them. I want us to remember why we have narrative in the Bible. If you caught last week's teaching, we know that the Bible comes in different forms. Formal term is genres or ways of writing. And 43% of the Bible is narrative, real story, and here's the reason. The reason God gives us the real stories of people in the Bible is not just to tell a cute tale or give a timeless truth. The reason we have narrative in the Bible is because as humans, it's easy for us to jump in. When I hear your story, and isn't it why we cry, or at least I cry, at movies, when I see it, I mean, I cry at Disney movies, but when I see a, a movie, especially a biography, and the story of a human suffering or the joy of their victory, it brings me to tears. I'm, if you don't cry, that's okay, but we get human connection through narrative, through real story. And the reason we, John gives us truths about Jesus in story form isn't to be cute, it's to catch us. We're supposed to step into the story and see what would we do? Who would we be? Would we be like, would we be like Lazarus? Would we be like Mary or Martha? Would we be like the crowd? Would we be like the disciples? All of the characters in the narrative work to see who we would be. And here's the beauty. This encounter draws us in. What do we do when all hell breaks loose? What do we do when we're surprised by tragedy? What do we do, where do we go, how do we respond when our world has been turned upside down? And this is the narrative of the human race right now. Not just here in the Portland metro area, but all around the world, just look at the news cycle. Every country, everywhere is coming to grips with this global crisis. What do we do? Uh, Martha is pressing in to a painful moment. Jesus, her friend, doesn't seem to show up on time. Now, this leads to the questions of today. I mean, people are asking, where is God in all this? As a matter of fact, side note, this is probably, in our generation, one of the most open moments to talk to anyone, anywhere, about things that really matter. Here's why, we're all stuck in our house. 
I think it's just a joy just to come to this building and record this video. We're all homebound and we all have too much time to think and we all have too much time to process and too much time to be afraid. And in all of this, here's the funny thing. Because I travel, here's my analysis. And I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. In the majority world, what we're experiencing now is the normal. The majority world, most of the people live in some sort of uh, poverty or not yet developed situation. So that there aren't enough hospital beds, that's, that's most of the world. That there isn't enough medicine or there isn't a cure, that's most of the world. That our resources are going up in smoke, that's most of the world. Most of the world, a majority of the world is wondering whether or if there's going to be food one week from now. I'm not making light of your trouble, my friend. I'm not making light of my trouble, our trouble. I'm simply saying, we're getting a taste of the world. And in the first century, around the time of Jesus, where there's so many unknowns, Jesus seems to not be there when Martha needs her the most. She, she has no doctor to take Lazarus to, no one can do anything. And in these moments, we get to see what Jesus has to say to our situation. Let me repeat this series title, we're gonna rise. We will rise! And uh, how do I know this? What can ground us? Well, Jesus talks about resurrection. Lazarus is in the tomb, but Jesus says, that's not the end of the story. Now, let's just think for a moment, because most of us, it's, you know, in one second, we don't think about the large sweeping view of what these Bible words mean. What in the world is resurrection anyway? Like, what is it? Well, if you read the Bible, uh, especially the first half of the Bible, we call the Old Testament, when it comes to death and what happens next, you don't have nearly as much as you have in the second half. Because of Jesus's clear statements, the followers of Jesus after in the writings and into the last book in the Revelation have so much more about resurrection and what happens after death because Jesus informs us. But before Jesus, what do we know? We know that everybody dies. Uh, you see it in Genesis, uh, God makes uh, men and women, and they're to live with him in peace and harmony and joy in a garden and beauty and creation and work. And uh, humans rebel. Everyone does. Adam, Eve, everyone after them. And here's what we see in the Bible, a direct connection between rebellion, ignoring God, disobeying God, and our own demise. And every human dies. And throughout the Old Testament, there's not a lot of information about resurrection. You see little snapshots. There's some in the Psalms, there's some in Isaiah, there's some in Daniel. More phrases, one-liners. And what we do get is this concept of Sheol. And Sheol in the Old Testament is this idea of a pit. Another synonym would be uh, destruction. That in the end, there is pit. And it's dark and gloomy. And there's all sorts of pictures and metaphor to describe it as the place you don't want to go. You don't want to die. But there's not actually a lot of information about what happens next. Now, there are some hints that the righteous are, are, are going to experience Sheol, but there's more. God's going to step in, but with very little detail. And we know, especially in the Psalms, that the wicked are headed for Sheol, for death. But what happens like 100 years after death? Again, there's some information, but Jesus is the one who speaks light to what was kind of hidden in, in secret. And by the time of Jesus, there were two major views about what resurrection meant. Within the Jewish community, within God's people, as they read the Bible, two major camps. One said 
that there will be no physical bodily resurrection. When we go to Sheol, the place of death, that is the end. And this group uh, is called the Sadducees, and Jesus talks to them. You see them all throughout the Gospels. This group, they believed a lot of things, but when it came to resurrection, a common thought was they said, no, death is the end. Now, the Pharisees, another group of, of Bible teachers, said, well, actually, you don't fully understand. After death, there will be bodily resurrection. So they disagreed on the point. Now, which one was right? Because people are asking today, and I've always been asking, God, if you're there, how can I know you? And, and how could I find life with you? This is like the universal question. And in the end, especially when we get to our later years or we come ill or life takes a turn, we really ask, is there more to life than this? Well, here's the good news. Jesus does not leave the question flat. Do you know there is a right answer and there's a wrong answer? And Jesus addresses it. Jesus always speaks what the Father says. And so he takes the Bible and he shines light on what God has already said and he brings it to the fullness. And we're gonna see it. I'll look at a quick encounter, turn in your Bible uh, to the left to Mark chapter 12. And Jesus tells us in Mark's gospel, uh, chapter 12, verse 24, I'll get it midstream of the story. Jesus said, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they'll neither marry nor be given a marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Jesus had been asked the question, theoretical to try to trick him by the Sadducees, the ones who did not believe in a, a earthly bodily resurrection. Hey, a guy marries a lady, he dies, then his brother fulfills the right thing and he marries her, and then seven brothers marry the same lady. Same lady. In the end, uh, whose husband is she? Which was a trick question because they didn't believe in resurrection. Jesus says, they're mistaken. Verse 25, when the dead rise, they'll neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. He doesn't say we're going to become angels. He says that we'll have an existence that has no end, just like the angels have an existence with no end. Now about the dead rising, and then he quotes the Bible. Have you not read the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, quote, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, end quote. He's not the God of the dead, but of the, li of the living. You are badly mistaken. Now, I want us to be very clear about something. And people say, well, I don't know if, if Jesus takes a position on it. He absolutely does. He says, this group of God-loving, Bible-reading people don't have it right. But Jesus, thankfully, he is the truth, and he gives the truth, and he corrects. He says, they not only don't know the Bible, they don't understand the power of God. See, God is the God, not of the dead, but God is the God of the living. So these ancients, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who loved and followed God, they were not nowhere. They were somewhere. They're alive. He's their God present now. Not just when they were alive, but they belong to him. And now somehow, without giving all the details, he says they're alive. This is a huge point. Do you know, in seasons and moments like this, we ought to think about what we think about. And there are a lot of things that we believe about God or the Bible or just life in general. Do you know they may not be grounded in the truth? 
Now, this isn't a slam. Uh, Jesus isn't giving out exams and saying, hey, if you score 85% or higher, you belong to me. Anything below 85, maybe, maybe not, no. But this is the time to evaluate what we believe about God based on not what we think, but what the Bible teaches and in light of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God is and has been saying. So if I don't know what to do or to think or how to respond, what should I do? What should you do? We should bring and present those things together to Jesus and ask ourselves, what does he have to say about it? So in this moment, in our, in our story here in the Northwest, here in America, here in this world, people are wondering, where's God? And where is my future? And Jesus has real answers. He is the God of the living. We, you and I, will rise. So Jesus makes clear the plan and the heart of God. It is that those who follow him now go from life with him now to life in the future with him. Then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you and I, those who follow the way of Jesus, we belong to him and we will be with him. And my friends, this is biblical, grounded, real, earthy, you can hold your life to it kind of hope. And in a world that seems to be waffling, you and I don't have to waffle. Now we will have moments. I can't help but read the headlines and like jitter a little bit like what and whoa and what next? You know, I don't know of anyone in our church yet who has coronavirus. I mean, there may be someone with it. No one's told me yet as of this recording. Uh, statistically, someone may. Uh, I may get it. You, you may get it. And those thoughts can bring fear and worry and anxiety to our soul. Can I just say those things are real, but Jesus is more real. And his resurrection, so in a very real sense, if we listen to Jesus, Yes, we get concerned. Yes, we wash our hands. Yes, social distancing for the season. I can't wait till hugs you know, come back and I can't wait till we're in the same building. This is kind of nice, but I'd rather see you face to face. But even in moments like this, I ground my decisions today, no matter what happens to me in this life, no matter what, I belong to Jesus and Jesus is, well, let's just look at what he said. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Verse 25, the one who believes in me even, will live even though they die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. This is crazy talk or absolutely life-changing, hope-filled, and true. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and life. Now, like what does that mean in the real world? Well, it's two sides of the same reality. Jesus is resurrection. In other words, Jesus is God's life for us in the future, namely our future. So he says about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, where are they? Because the Sadducees thought, well, they're long and gone. Jesus says, no, no, no. God's life is with and in them and their future is secure and they are with God and they will be with God because God is the author of life. Jesus is the resurrection and he, he says he's the guarantee. If you want to have life with God 10 million years from now, which is theoretical, and I know it sounds way out there. Let me bring it home. 
30 years from now, if you're not here on this planet Earth, if you want the life of God, it is in Jesus. He doesn't say, I have access to resurrection. He doesn't say, here are seven principles to tap in to the resurrection force that is out there in the universe. He says, I am. By the way, that whole I am is a play on how God introduced himself as I am to Moses. I am resurrection, the grounded life of God in you, guaranteeing your future in God. So our future is covered. But what do we do about the here and now? And this is why I love the two sides of the same coin. Resurrection, future life with God. But he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. In other words, resurrection doesn't just start the day we die or in God's future. Now, the Pharisees believed, and they were right, and Jesus affirms them, that there is a coming day. There is a future day. I'll get into that in the weeks to come. Resurrection is out there. The fullness of what will be with God, enjoying him in his space here on planet Earth made new. We haven't experienced that yet, but there's going to come a day of resurrection. But here's the good news. That's future. That's guaranteed. It's in Jesus. But he's the life now. And this is where the Lazarus story fits into our story. You say, well, it's nice of you to say, Jesus, that you're the life. Um, by the way, where were you? I mean, Martha... At this point, she could accuse Jesus. That's great, Jesus. When I sent my friends to you to come and to raise my brother up from sickness, you didn't show up. And, and then you wonder now, like, where's God and why isn't God doing what God is supposed to do? And Jesus, in wisdom, again, this is where narrative draws us in. We get the heart of God in the actions of Jesus. Jesus said, it's good that I'm not there to his disciples. He clues them in. It's good that I'm not there. Here's why. Because God's going to be glorified as I'm glorified in the story. People are going to see in, their, in the flesh and with their own eyes the life of God and what God can do through Jesus. And so Jesus, at the end of the narrative, uh, John 11, he, he goes to the tomb and in front of them all, he says, come out. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. They remove the grave clothes and shock and awe. And he does a miracle. Now the miracle reminds people there that what he says is real and true. And if he did it for Lazarus, he can do it for anyone. The end isn't the end until Jesus says it's the end. He's the resurrection future. He is life. So he brings Lazarus back to life to prove the point and to show us He's not just God in words, he's God in deed. And what a comforting word. There is nothing going on in my life that is outside of God's hands. And even though I go through trouble, and even though I go through heartache, and even though all of us are in a collective confusion right now, Jesus is not confused. And Jesus may seem far off, but he's not. And even though it may seem the past past the point of no return. Friend, it is not. And forget about this crisis, your life in general. You might be going through a struggle in a relationship. You might be on financial collapse. You might be going through a health issue. And can I just remind you, Jesus says to Martha and to us and to the world, he's resurrection, he's life. And those who come to him and believe he can step in and do anything at any time. Now, he doesn't always do what he did here. Just read the rest of the Gospels. Other people died. 
while Jesus was alive, to state the obvious. And he didn't raise everyone to life, but I think that Jesus is showing us here that in him is life itself. Life tomorrow, but yes, even life for today. So let me just ask you, do you believe any of this? Let's bring it home. The narrative is to draw you into the story and maybe you're feeling like Martha. I think of the many people here in this narrative that we could be like. Like, this is a word. This is a word of hope for, for Martha. Uh, notice what he says. Jesus said, on the resurrection and life, the one who believes in me is going to live. Like, now. Even though they die. Future. Whoever lives by believing in me in one sense is never going to die. Do you believe this? Do you actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that Jesus is the author of life, the sustainer of life, the giver of life? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came and showed us what God is like because he was fully man and fully God, never happened before, will never happen again? Do you believe that this loving, caring Jesus who goes to the tomb, the Bible says in John 11, he wept, not because he was out of control, but seeing the misery of everyone around him in their mourning, if they only knew, Jesus is touched, but if they only knew who he was, and then Jesus speaks life. Jesus can breathe life into anyone at any time and in any way. Do you, do you believe this? The point of the narrative isn't a cute Bible story about Lazarus coming out of a grave. It's about believing that Jesus is who he says he is when it seems impossible. And friend, this is our moment. This is your moment to really place your confident trust. Now, if Martha believes, then she'll go to the tomb with Jesus and watch him do what he will do. And the beauty is we see the disciples respond and they go with Jesus. We see Martha respond and they go with Jesus. We see the crowds, they're crying and they're clueless and they see the actions of Jesus. And the reason we get these questions and we're called to look at these answers in John is that he's the resurrection and the life and he wants to be your resurrection and he wants to be your life. Again, the point of the narrative is not to hear about them, it's to see if we will be like Mar Martha has the right response. Now, we'll tease out how we live in light of the resurrection here in, in the next few weeks, and what do, we, what do we do about suffering? We're gonna look at that. What do we do about holding on and looking into God's future when there's chaos all around us? We'll look at that. But for today, I want us to look back in John because John's writing one biography, right, beginning to end. Before he, he gets to chapter, what we call chapter 11, there's an earlier narrative that is really telling and speaks to Jesus as the life and as resurrection. It's one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. Just turn uh, to John 3, if you would, John 3. And Jesus said in, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, notice, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus is central to the entire story of the Bible and the story of God. Jesus is the one who unique, uniquely is resurrection. He's the one that can guarantee life with God in the future. And he is the life that is to know Jesus is to experience the fullness 
of life. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Now, here, here's the great news. The, the story of the Gospel of John is for you, uh, Martha, Lazarus. Do you believe this, Martha? And, and she responds, yes, I believe. I believe. Now, when she responds, yes, it doesn't mean she knows everything about Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. She doesn't understand that the way of salvation is going to be Jesus' suffering on our behalf, him standing in our place, him, him bearing the weight of sin, the sin of the whole world, him becoming our sacrifice who can cover our sin debt in full. She doesn't get it all. But here's what she does. She steps into and trusts Jesus with what she knows of him. And so biblical faith is not saying, I know it all, and now I have enough evidence that I will trust Jesus. The question is, do you trust Jesus with what you know? And so God loved the world so much that he gives his son that whoever comes to Jesus with what they know of him, he will give them resurrection and life. Life now, life in the future, coupled together, that's eternal life. Life with God now, life with God in the Holy Spirit, and life with God in God's future. And so Jesus is the promise, but notice that resurrection is good news and bad news. It's good news for those of us who've trusted him. Now, because we're in a scary season, when we say faith in Jesus or believing in Jesus or trusting in Jesus, for some of us, we get confused as to what that means. Like, yeah, I believe he was a person and he's all right and he can help me out. That is not biblical faith. Coronavirus right now, as a, at least the recording of this, there is no cure. There is no cure. So if someone comes up with a cure, and I, I pray they do, I pray there's a vaccine, I, I pray there's something to eradicate it in full. There isn't one as of today, but let's just say there is one. And I'm your doctor and, and I have what you need. Uh, biblical faith would be saying uh, that I come to you because you have what I need and I put my trust in you that you're going to give me, not something that's gonna hurt me, harm me, kill me, but what you have, you're gonna give and it's gonna produce life in my life. Now, because everyone's scared, we kind of get the sense of urgency with which trust and faith is. It's saying that I, I need what you have and I can't produce it on my own, but I, but I receive it because that life that you have now produces life in me. And my friends, in a that all analogies break down, but in a similar way, that's what it means to trust in Jesus. It means that I am not trusting in my track record. I'm not trusting in my family heritage. I'm not trusting in my knowledge of the Bible. I'm not trusting in the good things that I've done. I'm not trusting in anything other than the goodness of God demonstrated in the cross of Jesus where he dies in my place. He loved me so much, he sent his son. And it's faith in that God raised Jesus from the dead. And on the third day, we're celebrating Easter in just a few weeks because Jesus is alive. Now I will live too. Jesus keeps his promises. If you trust in him, you have life. Double-edged sword though, because this good news is very, very troubling news. And here's where we need to think about what we think about. Not everyone who will be raised in the resurrection in God's future, not everyone will be raised, but not everyone that is raised will be raised to 
life. I want to I want to read verse 18 again. We we get so excited about John 3:16, but 18 is is telling. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not trust in Jesus alone stands condemned already. Already condemned. And that means future condemned and the word condemned I hate it. But it's in the Bible because Jesus is real, the future is real, and your future is real, and you and I, by the love and the grace of God, are given the opportunity to, to turn to him while we can. So friend, let's just make it plain. Where are you in relationship to Jesus? Here's the good news. God created us for a relationship with him. It is the very reason that he made you, is to know you and love you and, and to show you the way of, of flourishing in life with him at the center. But at the same time, that relationship with God has been wrecked. Uh, we were born into an environment where everyone rebels. And guess what? Our experience says, yeah, that's true. I have my story, you have your story. God created us for a relationship with him, but we've all wrecked it. We're born into a broken world and we live as broken people. And that's the story of the human race. Everyone has sinned. The Bible says everyone falls short of God who's glorious. Here's the good news. Jesus is the one who can restore our broken, fractured relationship with God. And that's what happens. Lazarus is disconnected from the life of God. He has died in this case physically, but Jesus brings him back. And they have a meal together, relationship. The picture is not just a God sending these miscellaneous gifts. God wants to come to the deepest part of our souls and show us the right way to live and comfort and love and guide. And he wants to be not just the God or a God. He wants to be our God and our Lord. And he invites us to this life in and through Jesus. So John, the same gospel writer, will later say in his letters, whoever has the Son, Jesus, has life, resurrection life. Whoever does not have the Son, guess what? Does not have life. Do you have the Son of God? I think at times like this, we don't want to be fluffy and flippant. We want to speak to the truth. Friend, today is the day. And maybe for you, you have been thinking about it, talking about it, even taking steps. Can I just invite you? Martha was invited to take the next step. Jesus said, do you believe me? And I want to ask you in the same way, do you trust Jesus now as your only hope for a reconnected life with God now and forever? If not, why not now? Like, why not now, now, like this moment? I mean, what in the world are you waiting for and why would you put it off? When the world seems to be crumbling, Jesus is not crumbling. And sometimes the good that God may want to do in this crisis is to get our attention. Hello, wake up and experience the life and presence of Jesus when we're so masked by our things, we're so masked by our busyness, we're so masked by our own self-consumed, self-absorbed lives. And there's nothing wrong with living a good and fun life. But the problem is it can get our eyes off of what's most important and who's most important today. Follow Jesus. If you already are, keep going. If you're not, why not start now? I want to invite you, uh, you know, sometimes you just want to wait to the big moment like Easter. Guess what? You may not have Easter and I might not have Easter and I pray we do have Easter together. I doubt we're going to be in the same building. I 
got a sense it's going to be by video just because of the nature of the news. But the greatest thing that would happen in this season as we make ourselves towards the remembrance of Jesus' death and resurrection is that you experience his life today. I would love to guide you. If you say, Jose, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to say yes to God's love perfectly shown in Jesus. Then I want to lead you. And if you're in a room with a group of people, fantastic. Let's pray together. If you're alone and you're watching this, fantastic. Then let's just have this moment uh, between me and you. Don't worry about what other people think. The most important thing is what God thinks about you. And you know what he thinks about you? You're pretty lovable. You're lovable. You're so lovable that he gave his very son who died and rose again to bring you back from a far distance from God to closeness with God. And you can begin to experience that in a moment now when you say yes to Jesus. And this could be the pivot point for the rest of your life. And I would invite you now, if you're ready, to ask God to come and do what he wants to do. The Bible says to those who receive him, to those who trust in his name, he gives the right, John says, to become children, family related, children of God. And uh, I could say with confidence, I'm a child of God, not because I'm good, but because Jesus is good. How about you? Well, let's take a moment, and I want to do this together, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me, even line by line, these words alone. Saying words doesn't do anything. But when my heart is connected with my words, everything happens. And so now is your moment. I invite you to pray with me, even line by line. And this could be your breakthrough. This could be the reason that these world events have led to your change of world and worldview. Maybe some of this has led you to the love of Jesus. So pray with me if you're ready, and I would be delighted to see you take that step in beginning a new life, a new walk with Jesus. Let's uh, pray together. If you feel it in your soul, pray this with me, even out loud. If you're at home or with a group of people, so what would they think? Let's pray this out loud together. Dear God, I thank you for your love. I come to you today and I admit that I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again to rescue me. Lord, save me. Forgive me, change me, and guide me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, your words didn't have to sound like that, but sometimes a guide is helpful. No matter what you said, God knows the heart. And if today you've chosen to trust in Jesus, I invite you, tell someone about it now. If you don't have anyone to tell, just write me at hello at 26westchurch.org. Just hello at 26westchurch.org. I would love uh, to send you some resources that would be of help to you and encouragement to you if you're not yet grounded in a local church to see you take that step where you can begin to know the word of God and the love of God and grow 
as a child of God. This is really cool. Now, for most of you, you say, oh, Jose, I've already taken that step. I thought this series was for me. Yes, it is for you. Join me next week. We're gonna look at what resurrection means, not just from the words of Jesus, but from the rest of the New Testament and the hope that we can find in him. Until next Sunday, I pray God's blessing on your world. If you're part of our church, make sure to check the website regularly. We'll let you know where we'll be and what we'll be doing online. I love you guys. God bless.